0: You don't have to be an older person like you and me, Peter, to actually go out and determine how are you going to accelerate your process of becoming wise. I started doing that at age 28, and I think
1: anybody could do that at any point in their life. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. This episode is brought to you by Age Up, a new financial product that provides guaranteed supplemental income for people who worry about the financial impact of longevity. To find out more, visit age-up.com. That's age-up.com. Now, the ethos of this podcast, The Big Idea, is focused around lifestyle interventions that help us live longer, healthier lives, extending our health span so that we're more active, more involved, more alive as we grow older. For many of us, that concept is well within reach. But what we may not have thought so much about is how are we going to reposition ourselves or reinvent ourselves midlife to take advantage of those extra years that we've perhaps worked so hard to achieve. And by that I mean society is so well accustomed to generations of people moving from childhood to adulthood through a working life, perhaps parenthood, and then suddenly, sometimes slowly but more often suddenly, transitioning into retirement and a different pace of living. What if we're not ready to accept those social norms? Well, my guest today has thought a lot about that. Chip Connolly is the founder of the Modern Elder Academy, which, according to its website, is the world's first school for midlife wisdom. Chip is a veteran executive in the hospitality industry, formerly head of global hospitality and strategy with Airbnb, and he is also a prolific author. Chip, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast.
0: Mm, such a, just an honour to be with you.
1: And it's a real honour to talk to you as, as well. You, you've had a, a fascinating life and, and career. And I perhaps understated maybe some of your achievements. You're also something of a rebel, a disruptor. <laughs> in the hospitality business. And before we delve into midlife wisdom, maybe you could give me a snapshot of your career to date and what brought you to the place that you're in now in terms of your working life.
0: Sure. At age 26, I decided to start a boutique hotel company based in San Francisco, California. And the boutique hotel movement was just getting off the ground in the mid-1980s when I did that. Um, it was called Joie de vivre, means joy of life in French. And um over the next twenty four years, I was the CEO of that company. It grew into the second largest boutique hotel company in the United States, and uh, we created fifty two boutique hotels. And then, in the Great Recession, I decided to sell it. I just was like, I was over it. I was in midlife. I was struggling with uh, the the low point of the u curve of happiness for those who know that. Um We'll probably talk about it more later. And I needed to do something new, but I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. And uh, if you ever saw the film with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway, the intern, you know that he says in the film, musicians don't retire. They quit when there's no more music left inside of them. I knew I had music inside of me. I just didn't know where to share it. That's about the time that the Airbnb founders uh, approached me and said, Chip, we want to democratize hospitality. Will you help us? And then I spent the last eight years helping them. Four years full-time, four years then as an advisor. And it was during my time at Airbnb that I came to the conclusion that, well, first of all, they started calling me the modern elder, which I wasn't sure if I liked or not. Um, and they said, you chip, you're as curious as you are wise. And that's what a modern elder is. Well, okay, that sounds good. Better than modern elderly, I guess. But I don't know. I, what I started to think about was how as a society have we helped prepare people from adulthood to elderhood? Because your elder years meaning you're sort of to me elders a relative term, it means you're older than the people around you, but it doesn't mean you're your elderly years, which might be less five or ten years of your life. Your elder years might be as long as your adult year adulthood years, and if that is true, then we are done, we are woefully ill prepared to help people to understand this era of their life. That's what led me to write my book, Wisdom at Work: The Making of a Modern Elder and then create the Modern Elder Academy.
1: Yeah, I I think it's fascinating the way that you frame it and the fact that, and it's absolutely right, that our elder years, those old years, those, as some people might traditionally say, it, those declining years are actually not going to be that anymore. They are going to be long years, long summers ahead of hopefully good health and active lifestyles that we need to prepare for in midlife, as you describe it. Just before we, as I say, go more into that, there is one other lifetime experience that you have gone through that have obviously made such a, a huge health wise that made a, mm. a huge impact on you and your vision and, and i suspect your vision of yourself in your later years in, in your elder life
0: well there's been a couple but the one i think maybe you're talking about the one at age 47 when i went That's flatline yeah in the midst of gosh it was august 2008 i, I was going through terrible things in my life i just just about everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Uh, The Great Recession was getting started, et cetera. And um, I had a broken ankle and a bacterial infection in my leg. And I ended up having an allergic reaction to a very strong antibiotic. And um, I I went flatline on stage after a speech. And that was when I really woke up. I was 47 years old. (laughs) And I woke up and just said, listen, is this what I want to do? You know, I've been doing it at that point for 22 years. And and I just realized there I had a curiosity for life that felt like it was being restrained by what I was doing. So to die and go to the other side and then come back, be, re, be retrieved based upon the paddles they put on my chest, I was able to get to a place where I said, listen, I'm going to take every day... A lot more seriously, and more you know, gravitas and levity. I think she. I think one of the great things about later life is you learn the perfect alchemy of when when is gravitas needed, and when is levity needed. And in that moment, I wanted both, and I, you know, started the process of selling my company.
1: You say you went to the other side. How aware of that were you? Um,
0: so aware that each time I, I I died nine times over the course of ninety minutes. And when I say died, what I mean is my heart stopped, and it went flatline. In certain cases, it restarted five or seven seconds later. In other cases, they had to actually use you know external electric means to just you know zap my heart. And um, so it was interesting. You know, I'm a healthy guy. You know, people who are listening to this, they don't necessarily know. You know, I'm, at, at, when I got to the uh, emergency room, they said, are you a, a marathon runner? Because <laughs> they just thought I was like having a hard time. My, my, my heart rate was too low. Um, and, my, and so long story short is the, re, the way I knew I went to the other side was each time I would wake up from that experience, I would say to the person next to me, this is just what I saw. And so each time I saw the same thing. And so there was an element of, oh, you know, wow. I, I had a, what is called a near-death experience, NDE. And that I treasure. I really do treasure the idea that I have a, much less fear around death having experienced a
1: short version of it. And what did you say? <laughs> that's the obvious <laughs> the, question. Isn't I it? mean, this, want could to take, know. this
0: could take the whole section.
1: Give I, me the, the short version.
0: I'll be brief. Short version is I was in an Alpine chalet, a beautiful home. There's a skylight in the home with the sun streaming in. There is uh, a a wooden floor with a heavy scented, beautifully tropically scented oil on the floor. The sunlight is casting a kaleidoscope, beautiful set of colors on the wall. And this oil is just going down these steps very slowly. And I'm an observer in the room. There's nobody else in the room. Um, there's birds chirping. It's just, it was sort of a sensuous experience visually. I could smell the frangipani scented tropical oil. And the birds were like, you know, like a chorus. So, what I took from that was that life moves slowly because the thing I was noticing was how slowly the oil was dripping down the stairs. Um, and I think what I noticed it's just like, wow, life can move more slowly than it has been moving for me. And it could be more spacious. Um, And so, you know, that was, that was it. I mean, it was more, it was beauty, the the sense of beauty um, and the sense of stillness.
1: Well, you're right. We could probably spend the entire podcast analysing that experience, because it, it is <laughs> a fascinating one. You can become my one. therapist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you probably wouldn't go very far on that, but, <laughs> with my advice. But no, it is a fascinating area. But uh, let's delve into, let's say, the impact that it had on you in the years following and, and your attitude towards life. And, and you were already midlife. You were 47 years old, which is a young m- midlife in, in my mind. But yes. it, must, it must have changed your mindset.
0: It, it did. I mean, I think what I, I came to the conclusion about uh, on was the the idea that, wow, I have, if I do the math on how much of my adult life I still have ahead of me, I only have 29, 29 years of adulthood that I've racked up at that point. And if I'm going to live till 98, let's say, I have, wow, 51 years, something like that. Um, yeah, 51 years ahead of me um, of adulthood. Fifty-one years ahead of me, twenty-one years behind me. I maybe I'm a little bit more than a third through my adult life. I had been thinking that my life was almost over, and of course, you know, dying will do that to you as well. But I think more than anything, I actually felt the sense of handcuffs. Um, I weirdly, in my backpack, in my little briefcase backpack, when all this happened, was a, a book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And so um, I came to the conclusion that I was supposed to read that book the next two days in the hospital, and I did, um, and I'd read it before, but I reacquainted myself to the idea of this man was in a concentration camp in World War II. Well, I realized I was in my own version, you know, taking like, no, gosh, I mean, the last thing I want to do is to make light of anyone who has a, has had family in the Holocaust, so I'm not making light of it, but I'm just saying I was in a my own version of a concentration camp of my mind. I was a prisoner, and I was a prisoner in ways that were completely, uh, I had so much more choice than I thought I had. So at the end of the day, I think what it, the way it influenced me is it helped me to see I have a lot of life ahead of me. I don't have to do the thing I've always been doing. The identity that has been sort of defining me Doesn't, it it can actually go away and I can create a new identity. Um, that identity was for 20, ultimately 24 years being the founder and CEO of a very well respected boutique hotel company. And as soon as I was going to sell it, that wasn't, I was now the past, I was the founder, but the former CEO. I, you're sort of living in the past then and I didn't want to live in the past anymore. So. I was really, I think more than anything, I just came to a conclusion that I could be curious
1: and have a beginner's mind again. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment.
0: Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy?
1: And I mentioned in the introduction that you in your business life have been something of a, a disruptor, not mm-hmm. always accepting the norm. Can That's you right. just describe to me what that what does that term mean to you?
0: Well, I it's interesting to be a hospitality disruptor because it's sort of an oxymoron. <laughs> you think of hospitality as being friendly and, you know, congenial and right. Maybe in a in a service mode. And when you think of disruptor, you think of somebody who's just stirring Stirring things up and um, maybe upsetting people. So to be a uh, to be a hospitality disruptor and twice now, uh, first as one of the first boutique hoteliers and then with Airbnb, I think more than anything, what it's meant to me is being open to new ways of doing things um, and accepting that lifestyles are changing and how we deliver our experience in hospitality can change especially uh in incorporating technology so i mean that's that's what it's been you know and the evolution as humans evolve and their desire and needs for travel evolve um so should the hospitality industry but the hospitality industry has historically been extremely conservative Um, and it's, um, it's a bricks and mortar business generally, which means that it changes very quick, uh, very slowly.
1: And of course, this year of all years has has probably been the worst nightmare for the hospitality business.
0: It has. And, you know, I still own, well, I sold the, uh, the company, I still own the real estate of nine hotels. And so that's a, that is a curse. Nobody wants to be owning hotels right now. On the other hand, um, I own a ton of Airbnb stock and Airbnb made a huge comeback In the second half of 2020, such that when it did its IPO in early December 2020, it went exceptionally well. So thankfully, my Airbnb profits or or wealth is helping to fund (laughs) my hotels that are going down the drain.
1: (laughs) So let's talk about then your current venture. You could say your current area of disruption, Modern Elder Academy. What is it? Where is it? And who goes there? So the modern elder academy
0: is a, it is a midlife wisdom school. What the heck is that? Well, we don't have a whole lot of schools that help people understand how to cultivate and harvest their wisdom in midlife, nor help them to understand what they've built mastery around. And so that's what we do. We, um, we are dedicated to not lifelong learning, but long life learning. And that is based upon the premise that p- people in midlife and later may have a different way of learning and a different interest and passion for what they want to learn. You know, what you want to learn at age 30 is different than than age 60, but when it comes to the term lifelong learning, it's sort of a one size fits all. So long life learning is about creating a life that's as deep and meaningful as it is long. So focusing on not just the quantity of life, your years, but the quality of your life, your happiness and satisfaction and sense of purpose. And so we created it, given that there was nothing like it, <laughs> we created it for the first six months on a beta basis, trying out different things to different cohorts for one-week and two-week cohorts at our campus, uh, which is in a, on a beachfront in uh, southern Baja in Mexico, so about one hour north of a well-known place called Cabo San Lucas. And um it turned out people really, really liked it. The number one thing they wanted was... A community or an alumni association, which is a good sign. <laughs> if people said, you know, the, the, <laughs> the food sucks, you know, the hospitality wasn't good, your program was terrible, then they wouldn't really want an alumni program or, or any kind of community. But in fact, right. everything else went well, which has meant, hey, how do we keep this going? And um, so for three years now, we've been doing that. We now have a Modern Elder uh, Academy online program as well. And we're just in the midst of creating our first uh, MEA regenerative community, which is a, um, it's sort of a 21st century version of a retirement community. Um, do you want me to ta- talk about that for a minute? Because I, I- uh,
1: It sounds intriguing to me. I was just going to say, the, the, I suppose the whole ethos of what you're doing is it, it's not only about gaining new knowledge in, in terms of education and learning, but it is about learning how to be old and how to enjoy those extra years that I, as I said at the beginning, that we're clearly we are able to achieve if we live our lives in a certain way.
0: The unexpected pleasures of aging. Um, yes, That's it. it is that. Is It's also how to understand how to build mutual mentorship relationships with people younger than you. Because I, I actually think the the future of mentorship is not one way from old to young. It's, it goes in both directions. That's certainly what I learned at Airbnb. They taught me a lot about DQ, digital intelligence. And I taught them a thing or two about EQ, emotional intelligence, and we were both better off for it. So, um, what I would say is that, the program is is really focused on helping people to understand purpose, wellness, and community, which is a premise that came came out of Stanford, getting Dr. Phil Pizzo, who ran the medical school there and then created the Stanford Distinguished Careers Institute. And what they were able to show is that purpose, wellness, and community are really the most important things to people after about age 50. So that's a big piece of it as well. And then we also have incorporated uh, Becca Levy's work from Yale who's been able to show that if you can help people move from a neutral or a negative perspective on aging to a positive one, you add seven and a half years to their life, which is more life added than if you stop smoking in midlife or if you started exercising in midlife. So we're really focused on not just the longevity piece, but creating great longevity, you know, good, happy years, extra years. But it's not just focusing on diet and things like that. It's really focusing on uh, the psychological diet, the spiritual diet. Um, Carl Jung was very famous, the psychologist, in saying, you can't live the afternoon of your life based upon the rules of the morning. And what he was really talking about was the fact that the operating system that defines our life from adolescence to middle essence, middle essence being around 50 to 55, is the operating system is your ego. And, it, and it, it works for you in certain ways. It may, may not work for you in other ways. But around age 50 or so, the operating system starts to shift to your soul. And the operating system of your soul is very different than the operating system of your ego. We have almost nothing in the way of schools, tools, rites of passage, or rituals to help people understand that they are moving from a, to a stick shift to a manual driving. <laughs> and um, we just need to help them with that.
1: You mentioned, I suppose, the human operating system. I suppose we are, we evolve to operate until we have uh, produced children, until we are beyond breeding age, and then we really aren't evolutionary of, of much use, and and that's why traditionally. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of years ago, but that's why we died when we were much younger. So you could say we are pushing the boundaries now, and therefore we do need, as you say, to kind of upgrade that operating system to to deal with our new situation.
0: Well, and recognize that um, for those who want to go back to an era where it was all about reverence of the elders, um, you know, young people today don't listen to grandpa, they listen to Google. (laughs) Google's where all the information is, and so... We're not going to get back to that era. What we are going to get to an era, though, is moving from rever- reverence to relevance. And if we can help people in 50 plus um, recognize that relevance is about being as curious as you are wise, which is the, the definition of modern, a modern elder, then you can actually learn how to take that wisdom that you've developed over the course of your lifetime and create context for it in an evolving world and that's the key and then you can be relevant and the more relevant you are because in my case in my mid 50s i was helping some a, a, t, a company that had an average age of 26 become you know the global giant in hospitality and travel which is airbnb my if i was just the wise one and everybody just sat at my feet and i just spouted wisdom well, that, that wouldn't have worked if that's how I thought it was going to work. Instead, I had to actually be the, sometimes the beginner's mind. I didn't know a darn thing about technology, and this was a tech company. So I needed to be as much an intern as I was a mentor, which is why I say a modern elder is also a mentor, a mentor and an intern at the same time.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting concept. A couple of questions ago, I jumped in and interrupted you. You were about to go off on a on a different tangent in terms of some of the programs oh, that you do, which sounded intriguing. So, so let's yeah. just return to that thought.
0: Let's just, yeah, quick, quick thought. So I, one of the things we've learned here is people want community deeply and they want to come and have an experience, feel a sense of transformation, and then potentially say, okay, I want, how do I, how do I keep this going? And so uh, we've had, gosh, of the almost uh, 800 people who have come down here to Baja, um, about 40 to 50 of them have moved, now moved down here, you know, uh, within the neighborhoods, so to speak, uh, on the beach here. So that's a lot. And so what we decided is, let, let's create a regenerative community. So Sun City, are you familiar, Peter, with Sun City? Yeah. Okay, famously. See, Sun City was the sort of the famous first retirement community in the United States. Right. And it was six, 60 years ago. Um, and so Sun City was to retirement communities in the 20th century what we hope MEA will be to regenerative communities in the 21st century. So what's the difference between a retirement community and a regenerative community? Well, instead of having a golf course fairway in the nucleus, <laughs> in the center, and a clubhouse, you instead have a regenerative farm, which is a, uh, a step above sustainability. So it's a, a farm that actually regenerates the soil. Um, and through you know really great new uh, research on how on how to do that, so you 're regenerating soil and creating great produce and eating well as a result of that, right there in the center and instead of having a clubhouse where everybody starts drinking at you know alcohol at noon for lunch, instead we actually have a midlife wisdom school meA that can actually be doing workshops. And then beyond that, we have a series of homes. But instead of those homes being sort of these ranch homes on the golf course fairway that you know, everybody's sort of separated from each other, this is a little bit more of a village. And so you have that as well. And then for those who see it as a second home, they put their home back into the rental pool. And then we create sabbatical sessions, which is what we're doing right now during COVID here in, uh, at MEA. And all of this together is a new concept. And so we have a 2,600-acre ranch outside. Well, I can't tell you where it is yet, but it's in the U.S., um, outside of a well-known town um, that is very popular where people, a lot of people go later in life sometimes and decide to retire there. And um, we're going to be doing our first MEA regenerative community there. And we have another one in town that we'll probably do as well.
1: It does sound intriguing. We'll return to my conversation with Chip in less than a minute. You're listening to the Live Long and Master Ageing podcast. This episode is brought to you by AgeUp, a new product that helps fill in the financial gaps that are often created once you've mastered ageing and achieve an exceptionally long life. Small monthly payments to AgeUp stack over time to create a secure income stream for your 90s and beyond. Contributions to AgeUp are shielded from market swings... And once payouts begin at age 91 or above, they're guaranteed to last for life. Age Up is backed by MassMutual and sold by Haven Life Insurance Agency. You can find out more at age-up.com. That's age-up.com. I'm talking to Chip Conley, founder of MEA, the Modern Elder Academy. Chip, there's a, a quotation on the homepage of your personal website, young enough to take up surfing, old enough to know what's important in life. And it's a quote from your book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. I'm curious, at what age were you when you really realized what was important to you?
0: I, you know, the good news is I think I've always known that I wanted to take a different path than my parents or what was prescribed for me. And, that has helped me to take the path you know, the path that's been less traveled. But I, I would say when I had my flatline experience in my late 40s, uh, that was a real wake-up call. Uh, I think one of the questions we all need to ask ourselves is if we were to die today, what would we regret? What would we regret in terms of what we didn't do? What would we regret about what we did do? Um, <clears throat> I like to call this the box of unlived life, um, and sometimes unloved life what is it that doesn't feel fully baked in our life so if i died at 47 i, I would have died a very successful entrepreneur um someone who'd learned a lot of leadership i had the, i had probably, probably had the wisdom of a 75 year old for leadership but you know, when it came to my romantic or family life i felt like wow I've, i i'm like a 17 year old <laughs> so i have a lot of wisdom to be learned there and and so that that was one of the things i learned So I think that question though is what's unlived or unloved and how might we regret it if we died now in terms of what hasn't been given enough attention or investment is an important question for us to ask all the time.
1: And is the goal to get to a point where we're comfortable enough to say when we're dying that we have no regrets?
0: I don't think, um, well, I I think that's a function of the person. I I don't think that I don't want to say that someone shouldn't have re- regrets. I, I personally think I will always have regrets because I, I think without actually having regret, then I haven't been able to iterate from those regrets. C- can I? Can I say? So what I would say is, I have a gr- regret of what happened or didn't happen then, and then I learned from it. And then you could get to a place of saying, well, then I don't have a regret anymore because actually it served a purpose. And uh, yes, that la- that language and that thinking is simpatico with my thinking. But to say that I had no regrets is to me rather arrogant. Um, it suggests I lived my life exactly the way I was supposed to live my life. And I don't think anybody does that. And if you think think that way, then you probably are still you know, the president of the United States right now because you, you have a point of view that you don't make mistakes.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? And I think you're right. We're all individual and we all view these things in a different way. And maybe I can have regrets. We all have regrets. But then maybe get to a point where you reconcile that regret, and it isn't such a. That's right. it Doesn't weigh on your mind as much when you're 40 or 50 as it does perhaps when you're 70 or 80, because you you work it through. That's right.
0: And and just know also that when it comes to the subject of regret, I, I have a book called Emotional Equations, and I studied a variety, 18 different emotions, and including regret, and created equations for each one of them. And regret, the thing to know about regret is that regret of the thing you didn't do is twice as bad as the regret of the thing you did but wish you hadn't done and that's well documented in social science research and it has a lot to do with the fact that if especially if it's a regret of something you could no longer do again then that becomes painful because you spend the rest of your life <laughs> bathing in that that mucky water
1: yeah and as, as it comes full circle talking about wisdom and acquired wisdom as we age and that question that eternal question if only we had that wisdom at the age of 20 or 30 when we're making some of those lifetime decisions when we're weighing whether to do this or whether to do that or whether to take that job or whatever the opportunity is. And I think that encapsulates a lot of what you're doing that, um, you know, we do acquire this wisdom and it's a matter of how we use it and how we use it to benefit ourselves and and the people around us as we grow older.
0: You know, one of the things I was lucky to learn about wisdom at a young age was, um, I I didn't really have a language for it exactly, but um, I I started a company at 26. I didn't, I didn't know anything about the hospitality or hotel industry. I, I, you know, bought an old motel and that was in a bad neighborhood and for very cheap and, uh, had, had investors who somehow believed in me. And two years into it, we had an earthquake in San Francisco, 1989. And oh my gosh, we had no guests for like four or five months. And I was lost. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was depressed <laughs> and I, pulled out a, an old journal, or a journal someone had given me, it was untouched, and I, instead of creating a journal to write in about, you know, all my emotions, I decided to create what I called my wisdom book, and I, that's what I called it, it, it I have the first one, of, uh, you know, from 32 years ago, and what I did as a, as a practice, is every weekend, um, I would make a bullet point list of the th- key things I would learned that, w- that week because what I believed is if I could actually focus on what I'd learned that week, I could metabolize the wisdom from it. And I have no idea how I ever thought of this. I don't remember the specific day. I I just remember I pulled it out one day, but something led me to doing this. And so for 32 years now, I have had a practice of cultivating, cultivating and harvesting my wisdom every weekend. I take 20 to 30 minutes max and... It is a way to, uh, if I was to take Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, and turn it into an equation, it would be despair equals suffering minus meaning. And so meaning and despair are almost inversely proportional to each other. So if you can metabolize or digest a challenging thing you're going through and say, here's the things I've learned, you're a- actually in essence creating meaning and you know, accelerating wisdom. So... Uh, You know, you don't have to be an older person like you and me, Peter, to actually go out and determine how are you going to accelerate your process of becoming wise. I started doing that at age 28, and I think anybody could do that at any point in their life.
1: I can see where you get all the material from. With that devotion to to the thought process and to recording your thoughts over the years, material for your books, which is great. We're recording this episode on the 30th of December. I'm going to publish it in the first couple of weeks of the new year, 2021, which is a year that can't come soon enough for so many people (laughs) for so many reasons. And it's also one of those times between Christmas and the new year, the first couple of weeks of the year, when we do, I suppose, do what you've been doing for a lifetime. And that is... Think about our lives and think about the wisdom that we're acquiring and think about how we're going to live our lives, uh, usually in the next few months. And for some people, those new thoughts might last for a few days before those New Year resolutions go out of the window and we revert back to how we were. So I'm curious, at this time of the year for you, does it have any sort of special meaning? Does it have any special impetus? for you as you move forward to a new year?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, being able to do the inventory is always a good thing. The thing I tend to do this time of year is instead of a, res- a set of resolutions, I actually make a list of my New Year's resistances. <laughs> what are the things that are resisting that are actually holding me back? So instead of saying, here's my resolutions, I'm gonna do all these things. I say, so no, here the- I already know I'm gonna do all these things, but there- there's something that's holding me back. and an exercise I've recently learned that I have, I'm going to do this year for the first time to, to on this particular exercise, uh, looking at resistances, is taking something we, we've done before, which is a repeating question five times, but applying a new question. And the question is, what am I in fear about? And so then I, I would a- have a friend of mine ask that question. So Chip, what are you in fear about? Or what do you have fear about? and um i would say well i fear about mm, let's see what would um uh, how much work it's going to be to create mea regenerative communities and and how much time it's going to take and then my friend would say thank you chip what are you in fear about and ask the same question and i can't answer the same way twice and we do this 5 times and the value in doing a repeating question is it sort of like an archaeological dig? It forces you to go deeper and deeper and deeper, and what you'll find is the things that you're resisting in your life, the obstacles you're creating, the ways your you know old habits are getting in the way, often relate to something you're resisting, and something the resisting is, often has something to do with a fear. And you know, if I kept going on that same path that I was just on with that first one about how much time, I think there might be an element of I'd come to this fear that. You know, I'm go I'm I'm just replaying how I've lived my life, which is I'm I go out and I attain and achieve and and then I end up feeling like there's parts of my life that are not getting the investment and in time. And that process might get me to a place of saying, "Okay. Well, based upon that, I now have a resolution that I'm going to make sure I'm allocating 25% of my hours, my waking hours each week to the following three things that are sort of box of unloved or unlived life elements in my life that I think really need more time. And to me, that makes a lot more sense than going and just saying, oh, here's five things I want to do this next year. I'm going to go do. And then by the end of January, you're feeling like, you know, you're feeling terrible because you're not doing any of them.
1: Yeah, it's an, an intriguing way of looking at it. This is a, a podcast about longevity. With we've, we've mentioned healthspan, lifespan already. In terms of the rest of your life, what aspirations do you have as it applies to getting very old? Where do you see yourself in those, you could call them the twilight years? Mm. Uh, and for me, the aspiration is to get to that stage and still be vital and active and as healthy as possible and involved and personally involved with, with people and and, and living a life. How do you view
0: that? Well, I have role models, you know, whether it's Michelangelo who, you know, above his doorway had something that said in, I think in Latin, I am still learning. uh, And he lived till age 87 or Peter Drucker, a management theorist who quite famously lived till age 95 and wrote, two-thirds of his 40 books after age 65. Um, every two years, he would study a topic uh, that had nothing to do with his career and become one of the world's leading experts in it. I, I do that. I, I, so that's part of my way of being is I study topics that have nothing to do with my my career and then ultimately realize, wow, it could, maybe I could go in that direction or I could write a book about that or as I did with the emotions book um, because I wanted to study emotions. So I would just say that my vision of my future is dedicated to curiosity. I think curiosity is probably the most important elixir in life, maybe more important than the physical things you do. Even it is a, it's a spirit that you embody uh, about not being done. And so I think that's how I'll be. And I have no clue. Uh, you know, if someone had said to me 10 years ago at age 50, Chip, at age 60, you will have helped take a little tech company and turn it into a $100 billion company, and you're going to be called a modern elder and write a book on that, and you're going to be living in Mexico um, and creating a modern elder academy. i would like, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? So I have no idea what my what age 70 will be for me 10 years from now, and that's the beauty of life, is... I, it, I don't have the classic three stage life I have to live that I think was so well chronicled in um, the book The Hundred Year Life uh, by Andrew and um, and Linda uh, Andrew Scott and Linda Grattan. And I, you know, I love the fact that I there there will be surprises. Dan Gilbert has a great the Harvard psychologist has a great um, TED talk about your future self. And he basically showed from age 20 to age 90, people, Uh, vastly underestimate how much change is coming in their next 10 years.
1: I think the word curiosity is actually perfect because it just encapsulates the idea of wanting to know what happens next and Mm -hmm. looking forward. And I think that idea of always looking forward to the next day or the next year, because you're involved in something and you're curious about it and you're figuring it out, Mm -hmm. I think that just helps us keep going. But the moment that that stops and that excitement about tomorrow, because you're curious about the world that you're living in. I think that is perhaps the beginning of the end for a lot of people. Yes. That that constant looking forward certainly keeps me going and and I've noticed that in a lot of people I've interviewed for this podcast. Well, I totally agree. Chip, it's been really wonderful talking to you. All the best with your new venture. I can't wait to hear more detail and uh, I'm sure we will in the coming months. All the best to you and thank you very much indeed. Thanks so much. It's an honour. I put some details about the Modern Elder Academy and Chip's books and the website into the show notes for this episode. You'll find them at the Live Long and Master Ageing website, llamapodcast.com, that's double L-A-M-A, podcast.com. The Lama Podcast is a Healthspan Media production. If you enjoy what we do, you can rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. You can follow us in social media at Podcast and direct message me at Peter Bowes. It's always good to hear from you. Many thanks for listening.